Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think, and some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. Welcome back to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us, make us think, some stories that make us feel, all the feels. I'm here again with Eric Love, talking about a boy's life. It's been fun. It's been quite a remarkable story, which we'll definitely get to. But Eric, how are you? How have you been the last weeks and months? I'm good. I'm good. I've been working hard on getting my first two books published, which they are now, finally. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That Honestly, getting them, and I self-published, but getting them published was significantly harder than writing the books for me, just because there's so many layers. And I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I'm in the process of marketing, all of those things. So it's a it's a process, but pretty exciting at the same time. So I'm doing yeah. it. I'm, yeah, really- I'm so, I'm so glad. I'm so excited. I mean, just, I mean, human to human, but also like, you know, hopeful, hopeful, hopeful publisher too, like mm-hmm. actual having published person. That's really great. What are, um, yeah. I mean, what have been some high points of like your publishing process? I mean, some things you've learned. Well, I'm still in the process of learning a lot. So I will say this when I've, um, I, I've got the first two books in my series online, and then uh, hopefully, if all goes well, to, if all goes to plan, this fall around October, hopefully, I will be publishing book three, perhaps with an anthology of like supplemental side stories, short stories, that kind of thing, in between. Um, so after I get that third book out there, I'm I'm planning on doing like a, whether it's a course on teachable or Skillshare or or something like that, that actually details this process, because there have been so many times that I've, I've tried to find just a step-by-step. So you do this and then you do that and you do this and then that, because every step of this self-publishing, I mean, it's easy to get a book on Amazon. It is easy to get a book on Amazon, getting a book on Amazon correctly. So that you're set up to succeed, that is not easy. That is complicated. And there is, based on everywhere that I've looked, I cannot find anywhere where someone has just said, this is how you do it. Like step by step, like every step. It's either it's all about the marketing or it's all about the categories and keywords. And I mean, it's it, these, there are these buckets of, of instructions that I can find but not even clear instructions on how those buckets connect to each other. I mean, when I tell you it's been frustrating, it's been so, <laughs> so I'm learning though. That is the, that's the good thing. I'm learning. And um, after I get, I don't feel qualified to really make the statement that I, I know how to do it yet. I, I want one more, one more book. And, you know, I'm doing print as well as ebook. So, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person who needs a, a book in my hand to read. So. And I'm, I'm, I I don't know if that makes me old school or what, but I I prefer print books. So I'm doing print books 
um, and ebooks, and um, which means selecting the, the the correct paper and all of those things with the, the correct print on demand service. I have used Blurb and KDP, Amazon, and KDP is great for Amazon, but I'm looking for other avenues as well. And I'm not sure that Blurb is my best bet. Um, I'm thinking for the next book, I'm going to try Ingram Spark, which I didn't even know about until like a month ago after I already had two books on Blurb. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I do know that there are your, the, the one bit of information, the one bit of advice or thing that I've, the one thing that I've learned is that you really have to know what you're doing before you get to the point where you want to self-publish, if that's what you're going to do. You need to do all of this research beforehand because what I did was I waited until <laughs> until the end of December to really start looking into what I was going to need to do to get it online because I thought that would be the easy part. Mm. No, I, but, you know, that, that's what I've learned. <laughs> you, you, you're going to do some legwork to, to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that does seem really valuable. Um, I'm completely going to buy your book because I don't know anything about the process yet either as of as of today. And I still have to actually do the last last couple of weeks on my, on my own story. That that does make sense, though, to, you know, do your like work, you know, before you hit before you hit the publish button, like, mm -hmm. or don't don't wait until that day to wonder, oh, how do I do this? Yeah, it's it's definitely I mean, again, it's not hard to get it online, but it is. Mm -hmm. There are so many layers that if you're not paying attention, you're going to do something wrong. Mm -hmm. And some things you can't undo. Like if you miss, like, <laughs> well, I didn't do this, thank God. But um, on KDP, if you misspell the title, <laughs> you can't change it. Like, oh my goodness. You can't, you can't, also, if you put a book on Amazon, you can't ever take it off. You can unpublish it, but it will always be, it will always show up in search engines. So oh, really? I, yeah, so way back in 2014, I self-published a book just for fun. I wrote it in two weeks. So, you know. So that not, kind of book. Yeah, it's not the kind of book that I wanted to to, to um, put out there and, you know, promote. And I just wanted to do it for fun. And, um, and now I can't get it off Amazon. <laughs> I can't get it off Amazon. It really, I mean, literally, you can't take it down. Yeah. It's unpublished, but still okay i'm seeing some parallels between this and tattoos in a sense yes yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um definitely want to make sure that you've got the spelling correct on your tattoos uh oh i have some stories <laughs> not not my not for me thank you thank, thankfully but um yeah. just some other sad stories which i'm not going to tell here because they're sad <laughs> okay Oh, that's that's super great, Eric. And what are the, what's um what are the titles of your two books? Book one is called The Scarecrow Hunters, and book two is called A Greedy Shadow. The Scarecrow Hunters and A Greedy Shadow by Eric Shane Love. Correct. Available on Amazon now. So all y'all who can and remind me again. I know I read like a couple of chapters of like The Scarecrow Hunters, and I'm eager for more. Um, what's the general genre? Uh, it is dark fantasy, some fairly dark themes. Interesting. It, it came from a dream that I had that led to me ultimately working at a youth home. And, and um, you know, <laughs> one of those 
dreams that shaped me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there's, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, dark themes and it's all about overcoming a lot of adversity. Um, but it's a fantasy world. So it's, it doesn't connect at all really to our world. I mean, it, I mean, you can draw themes and learn, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it doesn't, it doesn't tackle our big issues, but there are, it is about, you know, being kind of, um, identified by where you came from and who your parents are and, and those kinds of things and, and growing beyond those. And so, yeah, it's, it is, it, it is an encouraging story, I think, but, but a lot of dark, dark stuff in it. I, I, I definitely would assume that there could be some encouraging things that are in, in that. And I've heard this even said about like, like the horror genre, which is not really my, my preference, but part of the draw there is it's, showing people overcoming things overcoming yeah, fears yeah. or that or that we could say that is the value of that genre is not just being scared although maybe some people like that but like mm-hmm. to to also come through the fear and overcome it and right. to to write dark fantasy to write about dark and heavy things to write about adversity with the overcoming of it uh i mean that's like the redemption narrative so yeah. there's i don't know my, my assumption is that, is, that, is that yes of course that could be really wonderful and meaningful I don't. I don't have enough data in my head to like fully, fully explore this stuff. But I'm, 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 I'd be curious to at some point have read, read, read your book and have read, read a boy's life and like compare contrast a little bit, just because like they both, you introduced me to both. Because if I remember, like both, you know, both kind of center on like this young, young boy figure who's going through a bunch of stuff, way different worlds and scenarios. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of this theme motif of, I mean, you follow a boy stuff happens and he has to grow up and face different adversities and yeah. granted i mean your character is facing much different things than mm-hmm. you know in a boy's life you know cory mackins in small town suburbia but um but i don't know I, they are both coming of age stories and and literally the 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 primary theme of losing my light the primary theme of um my book is there is this this coming of age tradition where this this boy was born that is you know that that's the that is the 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 main conflict in the first book is this idea of how a boy grows to become a man basically in this part of his world is is a lie and and so that's but it's very similar yeah i mean it is it, it, with boys life it's it's still coming of age the, my the character in my book is a bit older, but still, yeah, there are definitely similarities. And I would say that that's one of the reasons why I love Boy's Life so much, because of well, for, first of all, I just enjoy those kinds of coming of age stories. There's something about reconnecting with boyhood that 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 I enjoy. Uh, I remember being a kid, and uh, like I'm sure we we I mentioned this last time, is and with Boy's Life in, in particular. The fact that it takes place in Alabama and I grew up in Georgia, very similar. Uh, so there's a lot of, I mean, that it happened. It, this story happened before I was born, but but still, so a lot of similarities for me. So um, that that's appealing to me. But I love I love a good coming of age story anyway. Yeah, I've I've always appreciated the the coming of age stories as well, and I mean they they certainly look different. 
<laughs> I'm going to sound really old saying this. They look different nowadays than back when I was a kid. But uh, and, um, most recent coming of age story that really stuck out that I watched, it was, I think it was the first Tom Holland Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And, and I really appreciated it because I think kind of recently, somewhere around there, I'd been reading a little bit about uh, like like initiation rituals. Uh, I think mm-hmm. reading even like a little bit of Richard Rohr around that. And I think it was Richard Rohr. But like, I mean, because I know he talks about that stuff. <laughs> but um, I, I know what I appreciated about the that, that movie in particular was, you know, Peter Parker's relationship to the Spider-Man suit. And he like, Got, he, I mean, he kind of made his own suit, and then like Iron Man upgraded him to like a fan, like like an actual suit, and then mm-hmm. like in this movie, like he had the potential for like this super super fancy suit, and he was like just getting carried away with it, and like you know not not using that privilege correctly, and then you know lost it, and that's his like Dark Knight of the Soul, and then what I really absolutely loved was how like when he like went to like have his like final climactic clash with the, with the villain like spoilers he's like in mm-hmm. his like original suit which is essentially like glorified pajamas mm-hmm. yeah which you know and then for me like the parallel is like you know like these ancient like initiation rituals i mean sometimes like you'd go into it like you know nearly naked or something anyway and that was like part of it like you you really have nothing but your own stuff to rely upon and mm-hmm. so i don't know so i i, I love the like the parallel imagery in that one but you know that's like the the, the modern coming of age story it's like kind of coached in the the superhero narrative Mm -hmm. so shifting into like now now let's get into boy's life i'm thinking about yeah just what 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 this is and thinking about what's what's the draw to the story the genre of story like the the way this one is written concurrently with this i i i recently picked up a book of poems by a friend, a friend that just published a book of poems. It's called Bower Lodge. It's amazing. I'm going to have an episode coming out about it, but it's making me think a little bit about poetry and, you know, Robert McCammon, he's not writing poetry, poetry, like in the most conventional sense, but it was occurring to me, especially for like section two that, that we read. It almost has like this poetic feel to it in that, you know, and this is both like a praise and a critique, like, this collection of chapters and anecdotes kind of feels disconnected, at least from each other, like feels a little assorted, but each one really packs an emotional bunch. And there's, there's a lot of individual imagery that can be really stunning and really beautiful with each one. And so it's almost like, it's almost like, there, 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 there's some moments and I'm like, I'm thinking like specifically of like, like the chili willow, incident or or the other one where like they 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 go flying on bikes because what apparently these boys can fly on bikes and like and the the way that chapter was written written wasn't abundantly clear if he's like being like literal and fantastical or being metaphorical it's like i think it was metaphor but like the way he wrote it leaves you just kind of wondering but you know like a story like that doesn't necessarily add to the plot necessarily but it it adds to the depth of feeling you have being in this world. And that's kind of cool. Like a bit of it again, like a little bit more like how like a poet might write in a sense, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. What's your, what's your thought on that? So for me, I think there, it is um, this, a lot of this book actually feels kind of episodic to me. Um, meaning there are these small episodes from this boy's life 
that um, there is definitely this this through line that connects them all. But certainly, uh, there are large parts of it. And by the time you that that are that feel disconnected, that feel like individual episodes. And there are so many fantastical elements that come into play by the time you finish the book that are that you really have to ask yourself, like, oh my goodness, old Moses. Like, um, wait, is that his name? Is that the is that the River that? Monster? Yeah, that's that's the River Monster, yeah. I had, I had a moment of doubt. I was like, no, that's your name. <laughs> for the old part. Anyway. That that's this is me during the daytime, but at night, you know. <laughs> okay, right, right. Uh there's this this kind of this this shadowy part of the story where you can't tell how much of it is the boy's imagination who is telling us this story. Whereas I, I you know, we as the narrator, he's telling us this after he's older, but still you have to you have to question how much of this is is his imagination and how much is actually happening because there are several things that um like lucifer do, do we get in yeah. have we talked about him lucifer uh, the monkey uh yeah so you really have to wonder or i feel like you you as a reader you have to wonder did that really happen or is this the boy's imagination and is is the is the grown man kind of elaborating on the story through the boy's imagination because he's telling the story of a boy's life, like you know? And so I actually like that. And the 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 scene where they're flying on their bicycles, which I feel like is it has to be a metaphor, not really them you know flying on their bikes, um, but the fact that Robert McCammon doesn't explicitly say or the narrator however you want to look at it doesn't explicitly say that this was all in their imagination that it was that it was the writer it was um you know a boy who would grow up to be a writer and and kind of tell these stories all wait is he going to be a writer oh my gosh i'm getting two stories i'm getting multiple stories mixed up in my head now it doesn't matter anyway yeah although that was that was a that, that that's a fun story arc within their Tracing the arc of Corey becoming oh, yeah. a writer. That was, yeah, that was he, does, a, he does become a writer. Good. That's right. That's yeah. right. I, yeah, yeah. So, so thinking about it, and you know, kind of, kind of shifting into into a little bit of narrative mode. So, you know, section two, chapter one is like the last day of school. Yeah, the the way it's written is the boys are waiting and waiting for the last stroke of the clock. It goes. Corey has this really sweet moment with Mrs. Neville, his teacher, where he like you know kind of you know, sees her sitting alone in the classroom as she's getting old. But then they, they, they go out on their bikes, they go up to the woods, and then it's written as they are, they, they start flying. They, they're they running around and then they're flying. And, and yeah, it's not explicitly explained. No, this is their imagination. This is a metaphor. Or this is this oddly fantastical thing that happens just to these boys. But, but, but in that, again, given the context of kind of how the rest of the story is structured a little kind of episodically, there is kind of this sense that, you know, the... The, the story product here is a particular feeling more than almost more, maybe not more than the story, but, or, or more than the world, but it's, um, I don't know he's, he's writing to, to your feelings and I mean, goodness, I mean, what, what boy doesn't want to fly and like what growing up doesn't remember childhood dreams of wanting to be larger than life in some way. And so, you know, here's a moment where we get to kind of like 
indulge in that. I'm refreshing my note just to to narrate them. So so there's that chap that chapter, last day of school, where they they do the flying thing. The next chapter is he go, he goes to get a haircut, and then it's him and I think his dad's there too. But they're listening to some of the other men in the town gossiping, and they're gossiping about this new family in town. They're gossiping about you know Big and Blaylock, who's like like the the mob the mob daddy. The chapter after that, you meet. Nemo Curlis, who is this wispy boy with a bad, uh, with a significant lisp, who has like the mightiest baseball arm anybody's ever seen, and Corey and his couple friends, and Nemo get in a fight with the Brandland twins, and it's just you know a picture of bullying and everything. So getting it, getting toward uh, Lucifer the monkey. So there's a couple chapters where it's like the Reverend Blessed versus the Beach Boys. Right, because again, because it's it's set in that era where the Beach Boys were new and amazing and scandalous, and Corey really likes them, and his parents are eh, kind of iffy, but like the Reverend is just completely hates them, and he goes on this rant and tirade and crusade against them, and then eventually loses to this monkey that like runs around his you know special church service to decry the the, the Beach Boys, and like the monkey poops and everybody, <laughs> and like it's all yeah. There's a chapter where, a long chapter where Corey and his friends try to introduce, try to induct Nemo into their gang. And his mom is one of those like hovering helicopter, like, you know, my boy is too special to be with you commoners and he's too fragile. And uh, as I, I don't very sad. That might have been like the saddest moment in this section for me. But then that goes into Corey and then going off for like a week of summer that he has to spend with his grandfather, the Jaybird, who is this total narcissist and, you know, a bunch of other not really pleasant things. You know, he's like borderline verbally, emotionally abusive. He's like this compulsive gambler and leaves Corey. He does this like classic like attic move where he like, he takes his grandson to this mob gambling secret place, like out in the middle of the woods, doesn't care for his grandson at all Corey has to like walk back in a heat wave and and then like it never gets apologized for somewhere in there also Corey receives a typewriter and he starts pecking away at it and then oh rising action so the Corey and his friends they they go on their first independent camping trip hiking out in the woods all by themselves which starts off fun and then they happen upon an illegal weapons exchange and get chased which leads into the Chili Willow incident. Uh, Corey, stump, Corey gets lost in the woods after he runs away from like the weapons deal. And then in part of his way back, as he stumbles upon this you know naked girl swimming in the pond, and she's apparently beautiful. And it's kind of like the first introduction of like a little bit of like, like sexuality or Corey's sexual development because he's attracted to her. And, and then to find out she's this really young mom and... Uh, really young mom and wife in this really remote family. There's a chapter where Corey wins third place in a story contest that Mrs. Neville challenged him to 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 enter. And then Nemo's family has to leave and all the boys are sad. And there's this other, it ends on this other fantastical moment where Nemo is really angry that he has to leave. And so he throws this ball like way up in the sky and it like, apparently like never comes down because he like threw it into infinity. And that's, the fantastical Nemo Curlis or Curlith to 
tribute to his lisp. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So there, 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 there's some action here. There's some some interesting themes and kind of summarizing action within this section. What are some of the standout moments for you? I, I obviously, well, it's not obvious. I don't guess, but for me, it, it would be pretty obvious that I would I loved the the interaction with Nemo and the boys, you know, that whole um, idea of them accepting him because of like, you know, they were, they were being boys in the beginning, but they were, they were also kind of accepting even before he threw his first ball, but certainly they really loved the fact that he could throw as well as he could. And so they were really trying to connect with him and, and open up, the door for him to be a part of them for their own benefit. But also I just love that as opposed to the Brown brothers who were clearly fairly one dimensional bad guys. That That's kind of this classic aspect of coming of age for, for boys and girls, but in particular for me thinking of the, of the movies that I enjoyed most growing up or the books I enjoyed most growing up, they all had that, that kind of element of, an outsider being accepted. So I loved that. I just love the, that whole process. I do love, I grew up in a, in a very um, conservative uh, holiness Pentecostal background. So this, the scenes where the preacher is, is uh, really, you know, hating on the beach boys. That is very familiar to me because that was something that I grew up with. Um, whatever, you know, was, popular at the time was, you know, the devil's music, Phil the devil's music. So that, that reminded me of, of where I came from and just that whole interaction. I, and the hand, you know, basically this monkey being the, <laughs> just, I mean, even the monkeys being, being named Lucifer is, is the, I, I think it's hilarious. Again, I don't know that I believe all of, what we're being told has happened. You know, I, I feel like to some extent it has to be an exaggeration. It has to be, and even more so later in the book, but still that's, that's a great, um, that's a, that's a fantastic kind of, and it's this whole little subplot that feels unnecessary. That feels like it's, it's just there uh, honestly at this point, just to, for entertainment, for, for comedic value or, or just straight up entertainment. However you, want to look at it. Um, and I do like, and it is, it is like we've already said, it is very episodic, but there are the later and later parts of the book that you'll see a lot of these threads that he's kind of put out there come together and still not necessarily, I'm not necessarily convinced that they're all absolutely necessary. They just add to the the texture and the tapestry that, that he's telling the story. Um, so I do like that, but I would definitely say that Lucifer is one of my favorite parts of this chapter or this section. There, there was a lot, there was a lot of community value there, and and it, as, as you're talking about it, it's like 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 this wondering is is it is it should it be read literally? Should it be read metaphorically? Um, I know some something about that was reminding me about like these questions that come up like when reading like the biblical text and be like you know is, is that literal? Does that really happen? And 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 a lot of the the key to like reading it right has to do with like reading the genre and reading within like the, the rules of genre and everything. And, and, that, and so that seems to apply here too. I mean, we're, I mean, we're not reading, 
we're not reading like nonfiction or we're not reading like high fantasy. It's, it's very like a, a little bit whimsical and, and kind of, you know, kind of elements of poetry and kind of just like, yeah, it's this, it's this boy's inner world. And, and, and I was thinking like, like, does this, does this recounting of the preacher versus the, the secular music, you know, have anything to do with the rest of the story? Maybe, maybe not. I guess we'll see. But I was also thinking, so you, you look at that story, like next to the story of like Nemo and the gang versus like the Brandlin bullies or, or later when it's, you know, observing like Corey, like Corey's, Corey's dad and his dad's relationship with the lady and like that, that antagonism there and the antagonism between like the lady and, and the town. So, so I can hear that from like my lens as a counselor where I sometimes ask somebody, so within a theme, like what, like what messaging did you receive about, you know, love, about emotions, about sex, or in this case about like, what does it mean to have enemies or to make enemies or who is your enemy? Who is your ally? And like, what, what informs that? Cause as I'm thinking about it, it seems like there, there's a little bit of that theme of like just different people like pitted against each other and Corey kind of as observer sometimes. And I'm just imagining all of this kind of shaping this boy's understanding of like, oh, like this is how people do enemies or this is how people do grudges and, or this is how people make friends. And this is what it's like to be a, be a defender of a more vulnerable boy, but also to like have an enemy, like a bully or like a weapons dealing mailman, like have a grudge against me. (laughs) Yeah. I would say um, it's also interesting to me that, by and large, and again, I, I don't, I, I mean, the, this is going to come up a lot for me. The, the idea that the concept of the story is, is being told from this boy's perspective, but Corey, that he, he learns lots of things. Obviously he, he learns life lessons as he's going, um, you know, as he, as the story progresses, but he is kind of always the good guy. <laughs> Because he's telling the story, you know, but even witnessing the conflicts that he sees between other people, whether they're conflicts that that these other people have with him or uh, in the situation like with Nemo or everything that comes out of that camping trip and the obviously that's that's going to play. I mean, anyone who's reading the book would know that that's going to become an important part at some point down the road, we're going to need, we're going to come back to this a lot. There's just so many levels, layers of, about uh, how this, this child is seeing all of these things and interpreting what they mean. And and the fact that he's not actually just going to his parents, to his father, his mother, or another adult and saying, this is what's happening. Can you explain this to me? Can you tell me what's happening? Is there, is there something um, that we should do about this. Um, instead, he's kind of being a private detective, kind of trying to figure out how to to solve issues or, or what 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 everything means on his own. Again, I think that that's a lot of just that kind of the nature of boyhood. I, I think that's one of the reasons why I like the story so much is because as fantastical as a lot of these elements are, the lessons Corey's learning those are real. And when he learns those, I feel like we feel that in a, in a pretty strong way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, like you, like you watch him go through a challenge, like 
like you watch him like go through the challenge of there's that showdown showdown on the baseball field and is he going to walk away is he going to abandon this like new kid or is he going to you know stand up and fight or you know so here's here's the challenge you know mrs neville says hey write one of your stories and submit it into this contest you know it's a whole different sort of like adversary like an inner and like an inner inner obstacles to overcome and you know what's, what's he going to do and yeah going through you know like yes like the very overt you know conflict challenge adversary of like wow we just stumbled upon this weapons deal like we're in like physical danger very physical danger and having to have this moment of like really just fully like relying on his own wits to like get him out of something but then there's other moments where he he can fall back on his friends there's other moments when his parents are there for him was another one yeah like the, the moment when like his grandpa you know grandpa jaybird takes him out in the woods to do his gambling thing and he has to like make the choice to do i do i wait for grandpa and like enable him or do i you know do i you know give him the finger and and walk back on my own and like extricate myself and yeah it's uh it's it's fun to see him discover what he's capable of you know we might you know, as, as as adults, as parents, as counselors, you know, as you know, caring people might be kind of sad that he's put in those situations and and say and say, well, maybe this like my 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 mother in my head saying like, you know, like you know, that's too much responsibility, that's too much danger, and like you shouldn't put a kid in Dane harm's way and and everything. Which I mean, as a parent, I mean, there, I mean, yes, I mean, I wouldn't want to put my kids in those situations either, but. But there is also like the experience of, but if the kids should find themselves in the situations and be able to like get out of them and then have some loving people waiting for them on the other side to like witness the whole thing and process it and like, and welcome them. I mean, that, that's, I, I would imagine that's how resiliency forms and how yeah. Yeah. you really discover, actually, I'm actually kind of strong. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's this this other side of this too, where not only is Corey kind of going through these these processes of learning and growth on his own, and 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 kind of discovering what he is made of, but he also has his father, who is his who's his father. So he's you know, I would imagine a bit bigger than life to the his son. Um, and he's watching his dad basically grapple with what happened at the very beginning of the book, you know, with the with the accident and the the car going off into the lake, and and so he's what what we as adults know is that Corey is witnessing his father's insecurity about all of that, his fear about it, about what it might mean, about his dreams and nightmares and all these things. He's he's clearly intimidated by the lady, if not outright afraid of her and those things for everything that we have in the story that Corey is you know living through all of these episodic kind of chapters that feel a bit over the top maybe his own father the way his dad is kind of dealing with his own emotions is a little bit muted I feel like because Corey doesn't know what to do with those things. He doesn't know what to do with his dad's insecurity in these places because that is new for him. And that is a part of his process of learning and growing, which also obviously would inform at least to some extent why maybe he doesn't 
out with everything that he he sees and experiences. He doesn't go to his parents and talk about it because he doesn't want to add more to um, his father's stress and his mother's stress because his father's stressed and, you know, all of those things. Um, and that is an interesting conflict that I feel like is, is really at the heart of the story. It's not, again, it's, we're not being told the story from this omniscient narrator's perspective. We're being told the story from a boy's perspective. And so um, even though to me that resonates and feels very much an integral part of what we're, why we're reading the story is the boy watching his father's reaction to all of the, 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 the crazy things that, that happened to him at the beginning. Um, it still feels like we're given a, a bit less clarity about how his dad is actually dealing with those things than we, we get on like the, the flying scene, those kinds of things. And again, it's because it's a boy's life. It's, you know, I don't, I don't know as a writer that, that fascinates me the way um, he's written this book. But, and I also would think that that's probably one of the more challenging issues for a child is um, we can learn our own limitations or our, you know, our own, what we're capable of, our own capabilities, but learning that our parents have limitations and that there are, that they can't do everything, that there, there are some things that, that they struggle with just like any, like we do. I think that that is a big part of, of growing up, becoming an adult, whatever. And it can be challenging. You know, I came from a family where, you know, my parents are still married. They still love each other, have a great relationship. I always felt like I was a bit in the minority with that um, growing up. And I can remember even now as an adult, there, there are things that I look back on in my childhood. And, and now being an adult, I look back and realize that was my parents struggling with whatever it was they were struggling with but I didn't know it as a kid, you know? And I, so now as an adult reading this book, that's, that is an interesting aspect of this as well is, is watching Corey come to terms with, with his parents. I don't know if it's mortality or just their humanity or whatever it is, not their mortality. They're fine, but their humanity in real time. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, th- I think it does. And, and, and yes, he's not physically losing his dad to, to death, but, but there is a kind of death happening because it's like you're saying it's, you know, my, you know, Corey looking and seeing his dad is no longer larger than life. His dad is no longer invisible. Uh, his dad has, has feelings, has struggles that he might not be able to overcome. And that that's where, where I've seen that play out in real life, play out in the people I know or depicted in the story. I, I think that it's a really, it's a really powerful, it's a different kind of powerful loss. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's lots, lots of stories where, I mean, the opening inciting incident is like, oh, you killed my father, prepare to die or something, but something like you traumatized my father or like you abused my mother or, or something. And I'm, I still have them, but they're crumbling and I, and I'm not able to go to them for wisdom perspective. And now I have to be like the stronger one. Like it's, it's a whole gentle sort of trauma in a sense. And, and, and I love the way, like, I don't think he uses the word trauma anywhere in here. Um, but he's very clearly writing about like PTSD and trauma and really beautifully. 
I, I was I'm, I'm liking too as, as I'm thinking about like like the nuance to, to how he writes. There, there's a way juxtaposing Corey and his dad. A lot of Corey's adventures are happening around him, and he's kind of like like the the observer of his world happening around him. Whereas you kind of get the sense, I mean, his dad is going through a struggle like just as rigorous, but it's like all in his head and all internalized, and and you only see kind of the the um, the, the rumblings of it. It's a good pairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that Corey largely is. I mean, he there there are action sequences, there are scenes where he acts, and and those tend to be pivotal for him in some way. But a lot of the time, most of the time, he is he is an observer, and he's observing. I mean, obviously, he's interacting with other kids and things, but he's observing parents and or adults a lot in this book. Like he's, he's, he's watching adults do adult things and trying to interpret them through, you know, his, his child's brain and obviously trying to solve the mystery of the green feather and all of these different things that he's doing. So it is as much about solving the mystery of adulthood as much as it is solving in, you know, the mystery of, of who that was standing on the edge of the woods. And I just think that that's interesting um, as as a uh, a tool, or I don't even know if it's a tool. I, I don't know how intentional. Again, I'm thinking of it from a writing perspective. I don't know if it's if it was. I mean, some of it has to be intentional on the author's part to to not ever really give us direct insight into the the adults minds we're we're only seeing you know we're basically the entire book is from Corey's pov where it's all his story um and that is a, a decision by the author obviously i'm curious if if that if it was intentionally so that we we can only see in real time as Corey sees what he's seeing and 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 how he's interpreting it and we can interpret it differently but we still only see what as much as he sees. If that makes if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm imagining that as, as a writer, like if there's if there's like a puzzle I want to lay out, or a treasure hunt I want to lay out for the for the reader, or if there's here I'm thinking about uh, like some of the 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 M Night Shyamalan films, at least some of his like first ones, like 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 the village or like like the village or like the Sixth Sense where there's a very particular thing and a very particular premise and you know, it's not said, but it's shown and the world around it is shown and the impacts of it are shown. And without knowing what that original thing is, like it looks kind of interesting, weird, disjointed, like very puzzling. And then at the end, when all is revealed, you look back and say like, Oh, now it all makes sense in a way. And as a writer to make the choice to say, yeah, I'm going to write, from the, I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write this boy's memories, and I'm gonna write this boy's imp- the impressions of his memories, and really write to, you know, you know, looking back, you know, you know, when, when I was 12, growing up in the South, and and going through all of this, what what were I, what was I feeling? What were the, what were the the images that I remember? And because it is like very image based in a sense, like there's there's a whole lot of imagery. It feels kind of episodic, but like strung together, it, it makes up like this. This is the sum of childhood, and so yeah, it kind of makes sense that one might just like pick a 
pick a narrative uh, narrative style and write there. And yes, I mean, we can interpret it a whole bunch of ways, but there, but there is that consistency there, which I would say, yeah, it's like really good writing. It's a really consistent voice, consistent character, consistent perspective. And I mean, I mean, I think it works. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, it's different than like trying to read, you know, Game of Thrones or, or anything where it, there's like this, it's much more like, it's linear as action there's this there's definitive like movement in every chapter towards something yeah this one's much more reflecting on like like the the inner movements of like i was developing courage here i was developing loyalty here i was developing a fear and and picking up some fear burdens here yeah and i i like that we're i, I mean Full disclosure, I, I enjoy reading literature where I am not told what to think or how to interpret it, if that makes sense. So I like the fact that it's not clearly spelled out. And, you know, uh, and that tends to also be the way that I write. And uh, which is interesting because not everyone enjoys reading that way. You know, some people want to, to like some people, the fact that it is not explicit whether that flying scene at the beginning of this section is actually happening literally, or if it's just metaphorical, if it's their imagination, for some people that would turn them off. They they would they wouldn't get the book. They would they would it would be such a disconnection for them that they really couldn't connect with it. And I've actually seen that um, when I when I got my first book online, it's hilarious. You know, I paid for some, uh, I sent out some advanced reader copies to get some reviewers. And um, the first five people to review the book, I got a five-star, a four-star, a three-star, a two-star, and a one-star. I got Yahtzee. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I was, which I expected, people would either love it or hate it, you know? And the, the one, two, and three, all of them said the same thing. I didn't connect to these characters. I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. And... That was a device that was intentional. I mean, you read the beginning, so that opening scene is very disorienting because I wanted you to feel what the character feels. Uh, I want, and I knew that I ran the risk. If if it's too disorienting, it alienates the reader. And those are the kinds of things that you have to think about, I guess, as a writer. And so, with Boy's Life, the fact that um, Robert McCammon chose to write this thing. Uh, the way he did, and 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 to show us the process of Corey coming to terms, and and as a narrator, he will explain some things to us, but still, you know, again, in real time, he doesn't know those words, he doesn't have those the language to tell us what he's learning, what the life lessons are, um, whether it deals with trauma or love or fear or insecurity or, or acceptance or whatever those things are, he doesn't have those words necessarily, not 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 the way that we do. But that doesn't stop us from seeing it in what he's experiencing. The same way we would if if it was your own child, or in my case, if it was one of my nephews. I can watch them live their life and think, "Yep, I know what I know what he's learning right now," and and that's that's interesting. But it definitely is one of those things where you have to work for it a little bit to you know you you have to pay attention. Otherwise, it doesn't. It it's going to feel like. You know, somebody's just telling a story because they like to hear themselves talk, which can be good if it's a good story. It yeah. can be good, yeah. And depending on the storyteller, yeah, yeah, right, uh, yeah. Now that that makes a lot of sense, and I, 
I, I think I, I think we're similar in that sense. Like I, I love just being ushered into a story and letting the storyteller do his or her work. Uh, and it's kind of, kind of the same with movies kind of why I like, like, like the no spoiler thing is really big for me. Like I, I, I want, I don't want to know anything about the movie. Well, like maybe genre and like brief premise, you know, just enough. So I know what genre expectations to have. But after that, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to feel everything in the fullest. I want to discover everything. I want to enjoy the twists that the creators of this world want me to enjoy and feel the stand up and cheer moments when, when they, when they come. And so, I mean, when I, when I pick up a book, I mean, because I usually don't just pick up a book cold. It's, I usually read books based on recommendations. I haven't like don't even read the book jacket. I'm just like I'm gonna start at page one and just like see what this author has slaved away to create and and love it and and yeah, like I, I kind of like having to work for it or, or 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 puzzle over things or or notice the little gems that are strung along and and hold them in my head. One of the the earliest bits of writing advice that, that I received from, from, uh, actually my writer friend who just published a book of poems, you know, he had said like, like, don't spoon feed your reader, like make them work for it a little bit. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I, I like that. Like a little bit of mystery. And so now of course, like, like the, the challenge I've run, I've run into, like in, in my writing is, you know, that balance of like, I, I want to have some mystery, want to do some teasers, but I also need to give you enough so you're not completely lost. And yeah, I know, yeah. finding that balance is, uh, I guess if you find that balance, like you, you're, you're a good writer. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely tricky. I mean, for real, I, it, it is, it's been in, you know, I have, um, a beta reader who in, in Germany who reads everything that I write four five, six times. Hello to the German. Cause she listens to your podcast. Um, oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and I have permission to call her the German. I think maybe not. Um, Anya, <laughs> Anya, I do, but I don't know about her podcast. Anyway, and then I have my editor, and so Anya reads everything five or six times, like everything that I write, every iteration I write, she she reads it and gives me comments and that kind of thing, which is invaluable as a write as a writer to have someone who is that invested in what you're writing and and is willing to give you feedback and and without it getting stale at some point, because I would imagine that would definitely get stale for me if I was her. But, and then I have my editor who doesn't read it as much, but is, is definitely reading it with a very critical, intense eye. And they're reading from two different perspectives. So um, my beta reader, she's reading, basically her motivation is the heart and soul of the story, the characters, why they're motivated to do what they do. If they're authentic, if that, if what they're doing or saying makes sense. My editor is paying attention to that as well, obviously, but she's also really focused on the technical aspects of it and and um, editing the book for you know greater mass appeal. So I have, as a writer, you have to decide: Are you going to write for mass appeal? Or are you going to write for a very niche kind of reader uh, ship readership, or what? And um, and I, I made the decision to write for myself because I know that if I can write something and, and it passed my scrutiny and it passed my editor scrutiny and it passed my beta reader scrutiny, then it, there's at least one type of reader who will enjoy the book. And I'm not interested in, in spoon feeding and, and, you know, writing. I don't want to write for mass appeal. Basically I want to write for more 
I wouldn't call it intellectual readers, I would say, but, but readers who want me to trust them to make up their own mind about what they're reading, you know? So as a, as a, a reader reading Boy's Life, I, I, I can't help but have a reaction to whatever book I'm reading as, as a writer also, and, and looking at how the author has decided to tell the story. And I read a lot of fantasy, science fiction, um, dark fantasy, uh, those kinds of novels. And they tend to, because of the world building, because of introducing these other worlds, you there is a tendency for, for authors to, to be very clear about a lot of the details and what things mean. Because you're identifying terms, you're, you're, you're labeling locations, all these. I mean, it's, it is complicated. So... Even when you're like when I started editing the second book in my series and my editor was telling me, you mentioned this term, it's in book one, but it's not in book two. You you need to define it for readers. And there is a there's a limit to how much I'm willing to remind someone what something means, not because I I I don't want them to remember or I don't want them to know, but because when I read books in a series that every term or every concept from a previous book that is introduced in a new series book in the series they have to tell me about it again they have to define it again they have to go back and i that that drives me crazy it slows down the reading process for me it actually makes the book worse so yeah so i pay attention to those kinds of things anyway when i'm reading and i think that well yeah no i thought i'm just rambling about yeah yeah yeah. but but, i mean but it's but this idea of writing to an audience, it's, it's a really important thing. And I mean, uh, and a lot of, a lot of writers, a lot of writing coaches, editors will say some, something similar, like, you know, you know, I mean, know your story and know who your reader is too. You can't write to everybody and you're not going to write to everybody. And there's always going to be some people who don't get it, don't like it, who wouldn't have picked you up your book anyway. And if they do, it's a fluke. And there's going to be some people who, you know, this is what they love. This is how they think. They have some shared background, something in common with you. Yeah, there's there's a way I'm kind of like uh, you know it's I'm definitely not trying to write like for for mass appeal and uh, not writing to make it easy. Um, in a sense, like presuming to write it for like the, like the people in like like a college lit class who might want to like tear it apart someday. You know, presuming I might mm-hmm. you know, have that kind of right. impact. I mean, that'd be amazing. But also, like, there's a sense where I'm like writing to like Orthodox Christians who are doing re- recovery work because or other other counselors who know what a trauma narrative looks like because there's just i don't know those are my lenses and so that's what i write through and i kind of figure okay so a certain kind of person will get and appreciate this and that's okay doesn't need to be everybody yeah yeah i mean and and i think that that's pretty common you know for any kind of entertainment you know you there there are things that tend to be more entertaining to the masses and that's fine and i don't think that there's anything wrong for a writer to write to market, to look at the market and say, so what's hot right now? What's selling? And can I write to that market? Fine. If that's what you want to do, if that's what you enjoy, great, do it. That's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so the trade-off is I'm, I can write with a level of passion with what I'm working on that I couldn't if I was just writing for mass appeal. But the downside is there will be you know, a more narrow um, type of reader who will appreciate what I'm writing, but mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. 
Like, mm. you know, yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Kind of the difference between like these these writers who maybe they write like one classic that's like remembered for all time versus like these people who like they're they're full-time writers and that's their career and maybe they as a person are kind of famous for for a while but like don't necessarily contribute too much of substance to like human culture mm-hmm. again i mean either's fine i mean either way people get to read stories enjoy stories and you know it on one level you know reading and writing is a form of entertainment that's that's not a bad thing uh, i think it sounds like you and me you know aspire to do a little bit more than entertain but to also like make people feel make people think you know uh to challenge people in a little bit of way of a way yeah. uh and so that just yeah it'll just change our uh change change our experience of the writing and the publishing change you you know the reader's experience of whatever we put out mm-hmm. and it's all good it's all very good yeah uh, I, I love the stuff we've been able to cover and is a cool, cool journey through this section of, you know, boy's life and Corey's life. And I really love hearing about your, your process, Eric, and uh, the things you're learning. And I'm very excited to completely capitalize on, on your labor and, um, and, and learn about that. Yeah. And I'm excited to like, you know, read the rest of your book at some point too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to have, I, I'm, I love feedback, good or bad. Doesn't matter. I like feedback. Okay. So. Cool deal. Okay. All right. Well, we'll work on that. Uh, yes, dear reader, listener. I'm trying to think what medium are we in? Okay. Listener of the podcast, thank you for being with us. And feel free to, yes, look up Scarecrow Hunter by Eric Love. And it's great. And you should read it. And please do review this show, leave stars and share it around. And. Don't do like the five, four, three, two, one star thing for me. <laughs> uh, just do five. <laughs> but it was great to see you, and we will see you all next time. Me too. Word and Journey is a podcast by Moses Bernabe. If you like what you hear, consider supporting the show with dollars, reviews, or shares or all of the above. Word and Journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author Patreon at patreon.com slash Moses Burnabe. Moses Burnabe can be found at mosesburnabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd with additional development by Moses Burnabe. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.